We're into John chapter 12, and we're going to take uh, a big reading uh, from verses 12 through to 36, and we're going to read it all in one section. And there is a key verse in there, verse 21, where Greeks come and want to see Jesus, and they say, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. And that sort of sits over any time we would speak about God's word together. So as we're reading it, let's have that in mind, that we want to see who Jesus is. As you're finding your way to, to John 12, this, this section is so dense in, in its content. And it's the conclusion of Jesus's public ministry, as John records it. Because at the end, you'll see in verse 36 that uh, Jesus ends up hiding himself from the crowds. And from then on, his attention turns, as John records it for us, to his attention turns to his closest followers in the final days before uh, the crucifixion. As we're reading this section from verse 12 onwards, I'd like you to look out for, for three rulers or authority figures in the passage, because this is a, a microcosm of the great conflict that there's always been. And there are two rulers there, three rulers there. One is Jesus, the King of Israel, the all-conquering King of the Kingdom of Light. The second is the Prince or the ruler of this world, who's Satan. And he's a defeated ruler of the Kingdom of Darkness. And then the third authority figure or ruler is the little decision maker that's in each of us. And that comes into this passage because it demands a decision from us to choose which kingdom and which ruler we want to serve in. And it's because by nature, as sinners, we live and exist and operate in the realm of darkness, this world, maintaining self-rule. But Jesus is inviting us to live instead under his authority in the kingdom of light, in the kingdom of God. And he's able to invite us out of the realm of darkness from which we can't escape ourselves but he can invite us out of it because he has defeated the powers of darkness so let's read the text together and look out for the, the three authority figures john 12 verse 12 the next day the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that jesus was on his way to jerusalem they took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting hosanna Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. And they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with the request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. 
Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. And Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves, their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. And Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, you're going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. So we begin with Jesus, the King, and he's come to crush the rebellion of darkness. Here he is arriving into Jerusalem, riding on a young donkey. And John understood this as a fulfillment of a prophecy written 500 years earlier from Zechariah 9, verse 9, where it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And the latter part of the next verse in that prophecy says, he will proclaim peace to the nations. So it's this vision of one who already has achieved victory coming in to proclaim peace to the nations. And the great crowd that are there for the Passover festival, they take up the palm branches, which uh, they were a nationalist symbol of liberation from the times of the Maccabees in the mid second century BC, when they successfully rebelled against Antiochus Epiphanes IV, who desecrated the temple. Here was them taking up palm branches of liberation, but they also take up the Old Testament Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26, and they're actually going to be singing this later in the week as part of their Passover meal celebrations. It comes at the end of what's known as the Egyptian Hallel. Hosanna, save us, is what it means. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now that would normally have been addressed to anyone arriving into Jerusalem for a festival celebration. But here it's been applied to Jesus in a very special way by the crowd because of the next line in their chant. The NIV says, blessed is the king of Israel 
Now that line doesn't exist in Psalm 118 in verses 25 and 26. And actually the NIV translators have inserted the two words blessed is. That doesn't exist in the Greek. So what we really have is Hosanna, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. If you're reading the ESV or New American Standard, uh, they get the sense of that right. So here's this crowd with palm branches in hand, and they're looking on Jesus as the promised Messiah King figure from the Old Testament prophecies who's come to release Israel from the tyranny and oppression of Rome, and also the Herods, who were puppet kings of Rome, uh, ruling over the people of the Jews, and they weren't Jews themselves. But Jesus, he's not coming in on a war horse, and he's not coming in with a, an army capable of overthrowing the rule of Rome. Jesus is not here leading a rebellion. Instead, he's here to crush a rebellion because he's a different type of king who's on a different type of mission to any other king that's ever been on earth, operating to a different kingdom agenda, the heavenly kingdom, and according to a different time scale, it's God's time scale. Jesus is bringing his rule of peace to the whole world, not just to Israel. And his life is the beginning of it. And what he's going to pass through is going to achieve that peace for the whole world. And it's yet future when that peace will be fully realized as a geopolitical situation on this earth. But he's come to crush the rebellion of darkness. You know, Israel's, their Jewish people's understanding of Messiah's mission was much too small for God. Go and look at Isaiah 49, and the verses there tell us that God's plan was for the whole of the world, not just for Israel. So Jesus is in Jerusalem to engage in a key battle moment against the powers of darkness, against sin and evil, against the root causes of every trouble, conflict, and war that there's ever been in this world. And it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And here it is, this repeated pattern of destruction caused by darkness and sin and evil, that which undergirds every system in this world and is part of every human being's life in this world. And he's come to defeat that because no other king can. You know, Jesus has come to inflict the decisive death blow to the kingdom of darkness. Some have described it as a bit like D-Day. On the 6th of June, 1944, the Allied troops made their landings in France. It wouldn't be until the 8th of May in 1945 that victory would be declared in Europe. That would come almost a year later. But D-Day dealt the decisive victory blow. And Jesus the King is coming into Jerusalem to deal the decisive victory blow against the powers of darkness, not just against Rome. Here's God arriving, and he doesn't come with the tanks. The victory isn't achieved through military conquest that this world has been used to. That's only dealing with the symptoms of sin and evil. Here is the great king of heaven who's acknowledged to be a king by the people in this moment, 
but they don't know that what he's actually coming to do is to achieve victory over darkness through his own life, death, and resurrection. And the victory would continue and does continue to today in the subsequent transformation of every life that embraces the forgiveness of sin and the freedom from darkness and evil that we're able to enter into because Jesus the King goes on to the cross. We're going to get there when we move further into John. The second authority figure we come uh, face to face with here is the prince or ruler of this world, as Jesus describes him. That's Satan, the devil. And we're told that Jesus says in verse 31, he's being driven out in defeat. Jesus has come to this hour. The hour has finally arrived. John has so far said that the hour has not yet come, but here it has come, and Jesus says so. And Jesus is going to be glorified through this hour, and his Father will be glorified too, because it's the fulfillment of God's purposes to defeat the powers of darkness, and the one who has control over the realm of darkness in this world. For that to happen, Jesus will experience the hour that involves the crushing wrath of God against sin, himself being the sacrifice for sin, enduring the awful humiliation and torture associated with that, but enduring the wrath of God, he will experience the darkness of the powers of darkness and sin and evil, but he would endure that hour. He knew he was stepping into the final stages of, of God's defeat of the powers of darkness. But also he said that this hour, not just was something for him to experience, but it was also when judgment against this world and the kingdom of darkness was also beginning. Verse 31, he says, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. It's this D-Day victory in Europe thing again. He does go to the cross and through his death and resurrection, deals the decisive death blow. And we're still living in an environment where darkness prevails, but yet there is something in the future that is coming when victory finally, for all those who put their faith and their trust in Jesus, will be declared for them. And Jesus says in verse 32, how this defeat comes about, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He's not saying that everybody will be saved. He's saying that the salvation from the power of darkness and the effects of sin and its consequences, that salvation is available to everyone, anybody in any nation. The Jews couldn't understand, as we've read, how it was possible that the Son of Man or the Messiah could die because so many prophecies had spoken about his eternality. But one week from this incident, Jesus will be resurrected from the dead to demonstrate that he is the king who has the power to go into what would be seen as the realm of darkness and achieve the great defeat. And as Hebrews tells us, he's been raised with the power of an indestructible life. So Jesus' sacrifice, what, what he's working towards, and his resurre resurrection over Death is the victory. That's God's provided rescue from God's own uh, judgment against our sin. 
and it's offered to every sinner to receive it. We're under the control of the power of the world system because of our sin, but Jesus has come to defeat that so that we might be brought into the freedom of his kingdom rule. In Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10, there's a description there in the, in the end times, at the end of all things, before the new creation is revealed, the ultimate judgment, the pushing out for all time, uh, the devil and those who reject the kingdom of light and instead those who prefer the kingdom of darkness, they're, they're pushed away. They have no place in the eternal kingdom. In Revelation chapters 21 and 22, then bring us face to face with the new creation where there is no sin and there's no evil and there's no darkness. It will be driven out. The question is, are we going to be judged as those who have rejected the king? And we will be forced out into the place of eternal torment too. And then we come to the third authority figure that we can think about in, in our reading today. It's the little decision maker that's in each of us. It's our own little selfish ego. And that's why when we come to the scriptures, we have to make decisions. The Greek, Gentile, Jewish um, observers come and ask Andrew, uh, and then turn Philip and, or the other way around, to, to see Jesus. And they get an interesting response, Andrew and Philip do, from the Lord. But Jesus says something about how his victory is going to come about. And then he says that it's the same thing for us. Let's see what he says. He says that a, a kernel of wheat uh, must die, that when it's sown into the ground, it's, it's almost as if it dies. But that happens so that it might bear more seeds, the NIV says, or the Greek really says, bears much fruit. But Jesus knew that his death would bring about much fruit. And he also knew that it would bring into existence a new humanity, a new strain of humanity that's like him, that's able to defeat the powers of darkness and overcome sin and evil. And it's through trusting in Jesus as Savior and King that we then receive the capacity to resemble his sort of life. A life that when it dies, actually bears much fruit. And that can be seen in the people that we spend time with as, as their lives can be transformed too. So Jesus gets to us as decision makers here operating in the realm of darkness, but being invited into his kingdom, the kingdom of light, which is the only kingdom that will exist for eternity, where there is glory and joy and all of that, rather than the place of torment. If we want to be part of that, then we have to trust him. And when we trust him, he gives us the new life that is able then to bear fruit for God's glory. That's why Jesus says in verse 25, anyone who loves their life in this world, will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Three times the word life is used, and it's two words in the Greek. The first two times in that verse, it's the word suke, which means about your life that's entirely involved in, in this existence here in this world. But Jesus then ratchets it up a level and says, in this world, you'll keep it for eternal life. The word there is zoe, and it speaks of a, of a fuller and a greater life, and that's the life that Jesus has come to give us through his death 
And he says if we're to enter into that sort of life, we need to die to ourselves and our own selfish ego agendas. Instead, we're to live like him for the glory of God and for the good of others. And he says that we're given the capacity to do that in verse 36 because we become children of light. No longer uh, children of darkness. No longer do we say that our father is the devil as Jesus accused the Pharisees and the Jews in chapters earlier in John. By believing in the light, in him, while the opportunity exists, we step into the sphere of heavenly kingdom rule where he's the king and that transforms us. That's why Paul at the beginning of Colossians 1 in verse 13 says, God has rescued us as believers from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We can step forward into this life because we know that our sins are forgiven through what Jesus achieves on the cross. And his life then becomes the pattern for us, self-sacrificing service for God and for others. You know, that's the mark of a genuine Christian. Like Jesus, it's devotion to a person. It's not devotion to principles, merely. You'll notice in this, it's Jesus's devotion to his father. And that's why Jesus adopts servant language in this text as well. He says in verse 26, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. And my father will honor the one who serves me. You know, the Greek word there that's used is the word diakoneo or diakonos. And we get our word deacon from that. It speaks of a service that is something that glorifies God and, and is for the good of other people. And actually, we're meant, if we were reading it in Greek, to think back up to what we thought about last week when we considered Martha. In John chapter 12, verse 2, it's the same word there where it describes her service. And those are the only times in the whole of John's writings that he uses those Greek words. So Martha's model for us last week is modeled for us in the person of Jesus first. And her example then is for us to come and to serve lovingly and willingly the person and in so doing honoring the principles and the instructions that he gives us for life and there are two promises that jesus says for those who will give up their allegiance to themselves and the things of darkness and instead give themselves to his rule he says they will be with me and my father will honor them he can't ask for much more than that you know jesus's service brought glory to the Father, so much so as we've read that God declared, the Father declared from heaven his delight in his Son. I just want to finish, though, with a question for us. Uh, well, there's two questions. One is, are we serving uh, the kingdom of darkness and the things of sin and evil? Or are we wholeheartedly serving the King of light as children of light? But I want us to think about Jesus' example for us in the midst of crisis and trial? And how do we pray when crisis and trial comes? If you're looking at your text still, you'll see that Jesus says in verse 27, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. You know, it's right to be troubled as we face 
the situation that comes about from existing in a world that is full of darkness and evil. And we feel the effects of that every day. But how are we to respond when we're troubled? Like Jesus, we're to ask God for wisdom and help as we pass through the crisis or the trial of darkness. It reminds me of Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You know, we should really interpret Psalm 23 first as relating to the Lord Jesus. And then see ourselves in there. Here was Jesus stepping forward to the, the cross in all of its darkness, and he knew his father was with him. And into the hour, as he went there trusting in his father, in the purposes of God, God was glorified, and there was much fruit born. What about us? When we elite give our allegiance to the king of light, and we step into his kingdom rule, and yet through this world we pass through the darkness, is God glorified with our lives and the fruitfulness that can come from a transformed life that's able to follow Jesus and be devoted to him? That's the challenge I'm taking from our text for today.